There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. Welcome to this week's episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant. Thank you very much for checking out another episode. And tonight we're going to be talking about something very near and dear to my heart. And, uh, I mean, I've mentioned it on the show quite a bit throughout uh, the episodes. I mean, we're, we're quite a few in now. And it's been it's been a theme throughout whether or, not, whether or not I'm talking about, like, my favorite record labels, some of the people I've interviewed. You know, I talk about drive through records on here a lot. And uh, we're going to do it a little more today, but it's not just going to be me. Today I have my buddy Zach Gorshevsky on the phone, and uh, we're going to be talking all about drive through Records, our favorite drive through albums. And, I mean, this is a hard one. I, I've mentioned on here before, you know, I mean, my top five goes back and forth constantly, but I have a pretty – there's a few that stay solid in there. So, I mean, I've kind of kept those – and I, I'm really excited to get into it, but I, I already know before getting in, there's there's stuff I'm gonna forget. But hopefully Zach fills in those uh you know those holes. We're gonna get right into it. Zach, man, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Doing good, dude. I've been excited to do this. I mean, you're you're a uh, I mean, you're as big of a drive-through fan, if not bigger than me. So I mean, I love it. You know, definitely got to have someone on here, you know, who who loves it equally to talk about it. So before we get into our uh, top five favorites, I mean, why don't we talk about how we both got into drive through I'll let you start. Do you remember the first drive through band you heard and, uh, you know, like what year and everything it was? I was very young. Um, I don't – it wasn't actually an album. It was a video game. Um, it was called Disney Skate, and it was – on the platform was GameCube. And uh, we used to – me and my little sister Katie, we used to rent video games from the local video store. And uh, one of the video games we got was uh, like the skateboarding game, but it was like Disney Disney characters, mm-hmm. and uh, they had like a soundtrack, and it was like twelve songs that kind of looped while you're playing the video game. And one of the songs was "Somewhere Down on in Fullerton" uh, by Alistair. Oh, very nice! That's a great. And that is a great intro. So, like, what I would do uh, when I was playing the game, you could like go throughout the playlist and keep playing songs over and over again. And uh, I would always, like, I'd be playing the game, and, like, once the song ended, I'd, like, pause the game and go back into the, like, the playlist of songs, and i click on the song again so I could hear it again while I was skating, like, Mickey Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) It's punk as hell, dude. (laughs) Yeah, and I was, like, really young, and, like, it, it was, like, probably, like, way later when I realized, like, what that was or, like, what the band was, because... You know how that is. Oh yeah, like I'm sure at the time you weren't like right that second you didn't know drive you know that this band was on drive through or like what they were about or you know any anything like that. You know, not at all. But I, I believe that that was my first exposure to drive through, and I think uh, even like around that time too, there was a movie called Clock Stoppers um, that was put out on like Nickelodeon's like late night movie channel or Classic something. Classic movie. I love the great soundtrack too. By the way. Yeah, it was like around like 2002, 2003, and I remember that there's a song, um, oh man. Is it the Phoenix DX song? No, it's the Newfound Glory song, and it's um, The Minute I Met You. Yes, that one, yeah, I do. that is a good one. 
And it was like specific to that movie. And I remember hearing that too, but it wasn't like, again, I'm talking about when I was a kid, when I was exposed to like drive through, like around probably when it was like, in it's like glory days. Um, but I was just like an infant at that time. And I didn't realize what I was hearing, but I knew it registered with me in a way that like, I knew I would like it in the future. That's funny because I I didn't think about that, but I I definitely I saw Clock Stoppers when it came out in theaters. So maybe I had exposure before even remembering it. Now that you bring that up, maybe maybe yeah. that may have been like one of the first times I heard them too. Because that would have been I know the soundtrack itself because it really is a good soundtrack. There's Newfound Glory, and I think there's a Phoenix TX song on there too. And there might be another drive-through band. I want to say it, and and you're right. That was that was like the glory days. That would have been like right there at what I would say is like drive-throughs peak. Probably at like their peak of popularity, height of popularity was uh, when that movie came out. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that that was really cool. And uh, you know, speaking of newfound glory, that would have been my first exposure. Now, I maybe I did hear it in Clock Stoppers, but the first time I remember hearing them would have been i believe it was failures not flattering the music video and it would have been on fuse like oh four i want to say catalyst like just came out and uh it was on drive through slash i think it was also out on geffen it was like one of those kind of you know both kind of both label releases but that's the first time i like remember hearing a drive through band it was it was like you were saying with alistair like i didn't i didn't really know anything about drive through records i mean i got into newfound glory and ended up buying catalyst but I really, you know, I didn't really pay attention to the label, didn't know anything about it. I will say, though, about Newfound Glory, I mean, not, I love Failure's Not Flattering. That's a great song. But that video is so damn good, too. That and All Downhill From Here. I mean, they. I forgot this. And I was just watching some Newfound Glory music videos, I don't know, like a couple weeks ago. I kind of went down a uh, a rabbit hole, probably when I was getting ready for this podcast. And I was watching a lot of those old Newfound Glory videos. I forgot how good they are. Like how good their old music videos are. Like they put out some amazing ones. And I mean, I I think that helps, you know, you don't think about it, but I think that really helped expose them in a time now where, you know, I don't really feel like music videos do as much. Like that was something for me that partly got me into them. But that would have been like, yeah, 04, 05, whenever Catalyst came out. And then after that probably would have been like a year later hello goodbye uh here in your arms got really big that probably would have been a year or so after catalyst and that probably would have been the second like drive through band which once again i really didn't like i didn't know anything about drive through like i probably knew that that album came out on drive through records like at that point i probably saw the label you know logo on a couple albums but really didn't put anything together and then a few years after that like 2008 probably would have been when I started buying comps, drive-through comps, because I remember at FYE they used to have them in like the discount bins. Because at this point they were like, you know, this is past the glory days. You know, 2007, 2008 is kind of when they're closing up shop. So they had a lot of those comps at like FYEs, like brand new, sealed for like a buck, a buck ninety-eight. And I would go grab those because at that point I was into Newfound Glory and like Hello Goodbye, and I don't know, maybe like there might have been like another random one that I knew. So I'd go on there, I'm like, oh shit, you know, this one has a Newfound Glory song. And then from there, that's when I started really getting to label, because, you know, I'd buy them for, like, because Newfound Glory around the comps, and then I'd go, oh wow, like, Phoenix TX, or Alistair, Senses Fail, like, all these different all these different bands, you know, I started getting into that way. So for you, like you were saying, you kind of got into Alistair, but didn't really know until years later. Do you remember, like, when you finally kind of realized that connection of, like, all these bands that I love are on this, like, you know, this one great label? 
That's a good question. Um, I really can't remember whether I found Newfound Glory first or Alistair. Actually, you know what? I I remember I own the U- Urethra Chronicles too. Nice. Uh, Blink 182's DVD, of course. And I was watching, and Newfound Glory has like a chapter on that DVD. So I kind of was exposed to Newfound Glory through that DVD. Hmm. And then uh, LimeWire was pretty popular in 2009. So uh, I was like looking up Newfound Glory songs on LimeWire, <laughs> and like my first like official Newfound Glory song was uh, something I call Personality. Very nice. And, uh, it was just a really fast, almost like post-hardcore, like punk rock song. And I was just like really impressed by it because I was really into like Enema of the State at the time and like all things like happy pop punk. And um, it, it just kind of meshed in with that. But it was like, in a way it was harder. It, it just like resonated in a more like hardcore fashion. And so I kind of like that. I like the heavy undertones from that song. So I believe that that was like my first like newfound glory song. And then uh, from there I like delved into like all their other stuff. And I, I remember really liking, of course, uh, my friends over you, but I think, uh, my second uh, like favorite song besides something I call personality was probably Understatement because I watched um, it was like the Flake and Bake YouTube video where they uh, did the the live version where they were like playing uh, Understatement and like at a ski lodge or something. Yeah, and Ian's shirtless, isn't he? It's like cold as hell out and snowing. Yeah, there's it's snowing. <laughs> yeah, I know the one I, you're I talking remember. about. Yeah, I just remember uh, hearing Understatement because I was just like clicking on random Newfound Glory songs and I just really loved that song, Understatement. It was just like, it was pop punk and it was like, still like, had like the happy undertones, but it was, it was hard, you know, it it, like hit harder than like Blink did. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, and I mean, I have a story. I mean, my story is so much similar to yours and I wonder if other people out there... Um, have it have it the same way where like your intro to pop punk is more like your blink 182s your simple plans your good charlottes and then that was kind of graduating on to the next thing you know what i mean like newfound glory was kind of after you got into those like the entry level are kind of more of those radio bands and you know newfound glory i think got played on the radio and stuff a tad bit but you know we're a little more i would i don't i would never probably call newfound glory like a really underground like unknown band but they're kind of the next step, you know what I mean? Like like you were saying, yeah. they're a little heavier. They're not particularly like Mad Ball or like, you know, I don't even I wouldn't even compare them to like H2O. Like I mean, those are like influences of theirs, but it's like they have those hardcore influences, but they don't sound straight up like that. You know, they also like those pop punk bands. So, you know, they were really good at kind of meshing that sound. I know I know sometimes it's funny because throughout the years they use different labels, you know, easy core for a while, pop punk now, which in the beginning, <laughs> pop punk was a four letter word. People forget that, you know, like originally like the drive through era during that, none of those bands wanted to be called pop punk. Like nowadays we call it that and it's not like, you know, derogatory or anything. Back then, if you called like a band pop punk, it was kind of, you know, like a, fu- you know, like that fucking pop punk band or something. It's the same thing with like emo and stuff, you know, it's like. It's these it's these like genre labels now 
that you know we use but back then we're kind of like you know you're kind of shit talking if you used them but you know yeah newfound glory i'd be interested if, if other people were like us where yeah that's kind of that point of entry you know you start with like Malik 182 you graduate to newfound glory and then from there you end up finding yeah all the other bands on drive through and you know so on and so forth but you know we're, we're going to talk all about drive through but why don't we start we're going to talk about our top five favorite drive through releases and uh, we'll start at number five and go down. Now, Zach, what is your fifth favorite drive-through release? I would have to say uh, my fifth favorite drive-through release is the Drive-Through Records compilation, uh, "Welcome to the Family," that was released in two thousand one. Hell yeah! Very good, very good choice. And uh, it, it literally—it's my favorite for so many reasons. Probably the my first favorite reason is that like when they released the compilation, it came in like a cardboard pizza box that like fit the CD. So like you open up the pizza box and like the CDs inside. Um, and it has like a drive through sticker in the CD or the pizza box as well. And, um, the actual disc itself is a pizza. It is like the coolest. So it is, it's the neatest packaging. Yeah, it's probably like it's definitely the coolest CD I have in my collection. I don't even have that big of a CD collection, uh, but it, it's definitely like the most like interesting CD I have in my CD collection. But aside from that, uh, the packaging itself, it just has like like every drive through band that you could think of uh on this compilation and more or less some of their better songs you know it is unintentionally almost a greatest hits like it like it is a good like wouldn't you say if you were trying to turn someone on to drive through records like like you would almost go with that over like just one album like that's a great sampler and it, and it did it came out what year did you say like oh three uh, it was November 2001. 2001. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you think of that, and it's like, we, you know, they didn't know then, but you look back now, and it's like, that's, that's like, during one of their best eras. Like, they had some of their best bands signed at that point. I mean, there there's some, some of their best bands you can think of are on that comp, you know? Yeah, it's uh, Alistair, Finch, Homegrown, Movie Life. Midtown, Newfound Glory, Something Corporate, and The Starting Line, and uh, your favorite, The Benjamins. The Benjamins, motherfucker. Hell yeah. Great. Yeah. And their best, I, I would say probably their best song and probably best known song as well, which is, uh, I mean, that, that one's a classic. Um, yeah, that, that, whole, uh, that whole comp is just so solid. Do you, have a, do you have a particularly favorite song off of it? I would have to say... There's a lot of really cool songs on that comp because what happened was these bands um, recorded these songs, I believe, specifically for this comp, and then turned around the next year and re-recorded those songs for their full length. Like, for an example, like, Starting Line has a song called Leaving, and there's a early version of Leaving on this CD, and it's not on... Uh, uh, hopes of starting over it's not on that ep and uh it's like a demo version almost of 
leaving. And then another example would be like what it is to burn is also on the welcome to the family. And, uh, that is not, uh, on the EP falling into place. It is, it is like on what it is to burn and welcome to the family, but on welcome to the family, it's a more rougher, different version and like more, more demo like in a way. But it's just like, you could like, it's just really interesting to hear the early formats of those songs before they became on the LP versions of like where everyone knows what they are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're definitely right on that. Cause there are a lot of earlier versions on there and you kind of hear, you hear more energy in a lot of those songs. And I was going to ask you, I mean, like you mentioned what it is to burn. I actually prefer that version. Do you, do you have a preference? Do you like that one more? Do you like the, the, you know, final studio version more? So overall, I like the final studio version more, but uh, they have like a more like synthesized like techno version of um, the intro. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like almost like a synth intro on the studio version of what it is to burn. But in the demo version of what it is to burn, it almost sounds like it's like broken up strings like violins yeah there are cellos yeah i i i prefer like the the broken up string version on the demo i just wish they would have stuck with that um but you know artists do what they want to do i mean it's a it's a jam either way no matter what version you're listening to but yeah yeah i like i do like what you're saying because you know what i probably would like the studio version more with the strings if that including if they doctored it up a little because i mean the production on the studio album so good that if you yeah. think about it like yeah if you think of what they would have done with strings that could have really sounded you know really good like layered in there and everything because yeah i'm not a big fan of that i think that's part of why i like that one more i don't really like that intro that's more kind of techno like I, I like those strings a lot more you know for sure but then you also they they just recently put out that Welcome to the Family on vinyl. I have I have not seen a copy yet, but I've always wanted I've always thought that was an amazing one to put on vinyl. I I forever thought this thing would look awesome um on record. And I know you have a couple copies. I mean, what what does the vinyl look like? You want to give a little like rundown for people who are I mean, if they're listening to this, they're probably aware of that cool like they know what we're talking about, how rad that comp is in the pizza box. How does it look, you know, like as a full fledged now big ass like regular sized pizza box? So it literally is one big ass pizza box. <laughs> it, it is literally the size of a pizza box, which is even more cool. Um, it comes in like four different variants. I think one yet to be released as of right now. Um, the one that's yet to be released is like a solid gold. But the ones I have, I have three different variants. I have a solid black, I have a split black and gold, and then I have a like a splatter gold and black where it's like, you know, you, you know splatter variants. Oh, yeah. But um, it's very cool. The packaging's very much the same. The pizza box, uh, all the graphics on the pizza box are identical. Um it has the same welcome to the family photo album with all the gangster photos of like the starting line and newfound glory and finch and uh it comes with a vinyl slip mat which is uh on one side it's a pizza 
Um, but the other side, it's it's like flat black with the drive-through record, the drive-through records um, logo in the center. Oh, nice! So it's really cool. I think that was their way of like compensating for not having the record actually look like a pizza because the CD looks like a pizza itself. So I think that was a really cool way of doing it. I I don't know. I like I was talking to you uh, earlier. I like the the CD version just because like. I'm really into vintage things and I, I kind of like have a nostalgic thing for like, like the texture of like vintage things. But I believe like the record is like so awesome and it does it justice. And like, if you have the opportunity to pick it up, you definitely should. And you said earlier, you think most of the variants are sold out, right? Or all of them are. So the three variants I have, there's only four variants to be released. And the three variants I have are definitely sold out. But the solid gold one has yet to be um, put online yet. And I don't know when that will be put on the market. But, yeah, it's it's a record that's in pretty high demand right now. That's pretty rad. I mean, yeah, if anyone's listening, I mean, good Godspeed if you're looking for a copy. You know, hopefully you get one. But I, I really have. I always thought that would look awesome on vinyl. And I'm happy that it finally you know, got the vinyl treatment. And it's crazy to think too, like you were saying it being vintage, but you know what? You're not wrong. That thing's almost 20 years old. I mean, how, that's insane to think about. But then again, so many of these albums, probably on both of our lists, you start thinking about it. They're pushing about 20 years now, you know, which is also why me and you probably, yeah, didn't it? Neither of us were really around for that beginning thing. Cause you start thinking about it, you go, well, if that thing's almost 20 years old, then I was like seven when it came out. You were like five. Three. Yeah. You were like five. Like you started thinking about like, wait, we're a little ass babies. Yeah. We're a little ass babies, dude. We weren't, we weren't punk enough. We we're little poser ass kids. We didn't, we weren't cool enough for drive through when it first came out. So we had to both get it secondhand. But I, I, I love that though. I think that's the cool thing that people still discover it later on. And that's a good, that's a good example too. I mean, I won't go forever on it. Cause I, anytime I talk about comps, I go on forever about it, but the importance of them and what they once did, I mean, it did it for me. I found I, my love for drive through came, like I was saying, when I found those compilations and discovered all those other bands and same with welcome to the family. That's just such, it shows you what a good compilation can be that 20, almost 20 years later, they re-released it on vinyl and it's selling out like that. Like that's kind of, you know, if anyone ever hears on this show, me talking about comps and don't realize what they once did, that's what they once did. They once sold a shit ton, exposed people to all these bands, and then years later, people still it's still in high demand. You know, that's what a good comp used to do. Absolutely amazing. And, yeah, I got to agree. That's one of their – it's not on my top five list. I do have another comp on here. Um, but that is that is one that is definitely up there for me. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a poser here, but my favorite something corporate song is Constantine, and obviously that one is on Welcome to the Family. So, you know, I'm kind of a fool for that. But my fifth favorite um, drive-through release, mine would have to be the movie life with has a gambling problem. I love both movie life. Actually, they have three full lengths. I love uh, I, the first album's not too bad. I believe it's called It's Go Time. Not a bad record, but I mean they really kind of got their sound on this time next year. But what I love about has a gambling problem is it's to me it's when they were the most finely tuned. It's a great in between of what they did on this time next year and what they did on 40-hour train back to Penn. I think it's some – and production-wise, I think it's their best production because it's not it's not a polished EP, I wouldn't say, but I think it's their cleanest sounding. Like, 
Like, I love 40-hour train back to Penn, but the snare on that thing sounds so weird to me, and I don't know why. I've never liked the snare on it. And then I feel like this time next year is very, you know, kind of it, – it's it's more raw. It's supposed to sound like that. And I feel like Has a Gambling Problem was this really good in-between where it's still this scrappy pop-punk band, you know, kind of like Newfound Glory, where they're kind of a pop-punk band, also kind of hardcore. You know, they're kind of in the middle there. And I just think it's them at their absolute best. I think those are like five of their best songs. I just, I really, there's a lot of bands who do EPs and a lot of times EPs end up being like their best thing because it's this like in between, you know, it's not their, it ends up being like, if you really like the album before, like I'm saying, like you really like their debut, but this is in between. It's not their sophomore album. There's less pressure on it. I think that's the other thing. There's less pressure with EPs because it's just kind of something to release. I feel like. And they just went in and did it. And it just, I don't know, I think it came out amazing. Now, the other thing, too, is I feel like 40-hour train back to Penn, though, it's not totally different. I don't think it sounds just like the EP. But I forget that. After they had that whole, which, I mean, a big part of what they you know sing about on that record. But uh, after that terrible uh, van accident they had that, I mean, I think inevitably put tension on the band and ended up being a big reason why they broke up. But, I mean, I think a lot of that also had to do with some of the more darker sounds and lyrics on 40 hour train back to Penn, but it's kind of interesting where they're going with has a gambling problem. And I would almost wonder if they're, if 40 hour train back to Penn would have sounded more like that, you know, had they not, you know, like had that accident wrote all those songs and stuff. And it was more like, Hey, we're going more for this polished pop punk thing. And uh, I mean, I, that's just why I love that one. I love everything the movie life did, but I think that EP was their best. Are, are, do you like the movie life at all? I love the movie Life. Hell yeah. Um, it's not in my top five, but actually before they got signed a drive through one of my favorite songs about the movie Life um, is called Fake Blood. And it's just a really good, like, chuggy, hardcore song before I, almost before I even think they realized they were pop punk. Um, I just really love, just like, I, I, I just kind of like with Newfound Glory. I kind of just really like the hardcore sounds of the music, but with like the melodic, like pretty vocals on top of it. Oh, absolutely. They know melody, you know, they can, they can do melody, but still kind of have that, you know, you can still mosh to it, you know, Yeah. like I saw them live on their uh, reunion tour back in 2015 when they, they still tour now, but it's Vinny, one of the guitar players and then i think just different guys like it's not the whole like the like kind of definitive lineup but i saw him when it was like the five of them and it is like you go see him live and it's like you know they have that melody and it's catchy but people are moshing you know they're jumping off the stage like it was they have like a hardcore audience you know like people people go nuts at those shows it's like and but that, that's what i like about it is that you can listen to it kind of bop your head move around it's catchy but you can also go lose your shit at a show to it. You know, I, I, I just I think that's so good. And it is. It's like you were saying, Newfound Glory and the movie life. Both. I fe- I really feel like they pull that off really well. As far as the movie life goes, I mean, like of their of their two albums, do you lean more towards than I guess you maybe kind of answered it, but you lean kind of more towards like the this time next year hardcore side or more of like the pop punkiness of like the drive through releases, you know, like 40 hour train and like has a gambling problem. To be honest, I would have to say my favorite movie life album is 40 Hour Train. Nice. Just because, I, I don't know, that, that's just an overall great album for them, I believe. 
It is, and I mean, there, there's. It's not my favorite release. That obviously, gambling problem is, but I would say "Hey" is one of their best songs. And I mean, also like "Scary." That's another. There's a couple. There's a couple instances on that album where I really do think they outdid themselves. You know, it's it's really good, and I really. I've only heard one or two songs. I always forget that they put that reunion album out like a couple years ago now. I really, I'll be totally honest. I've never listened to the whole thing. I've only heard like a song or two. I need to go listen to the rest. Have you, have you ever listened to it at all? I've actually never listened to the reunion album, no. No, I got to go listen to it too. I'd be interested to hear how it sounds because that's another one. I don't think all five dudes were on it. I think it was like Vinny, Travis, their guitar player, and then I think like the bass player is the bass player from I Am The Avalanche, Vinny's other band. And uh, a couple other guys, and uh, I don't know. I would still like to hear it. I'm sure it's good. I mean, Vinny, Vinny, no matter what he's in, I like I Am the Avalanche and all that as well. But I think the movie life is like the best thing that uh, he, he's ever been a part of. I, I just absolutely love that band, love that EP. Let's go to number four. What is your fourth favorite release, dude? So I don't know. Most people would know that this band was a Drive Through Records band, but in 2010. Drive Through Records put out an EP. Um, actually, no, I stand corrected. It was 2012, yep, 2012 that they put out the EP. It was uh, Seller Life's Motherfuckers. Very good, very good uh, choice there. And I, I just really love that album because one, it was actually turned on to me through Richard, um, the owner of drive through records. And, um, secondly, like I remember junior year of high school, I would play open this place up, um, by the so life off that EP, like every day, um, before I went to school. And there was like a lyric in there that always resonated with me. It was like another half hearted attempt of changing yourself. I undersell, but I over, I I don't really remember the lyric. I'm sorry. But I, I just remember that lyric really resonating with me. Um, that's rad. That's a good, I mean, that's a great, uh, just really solid pop punk band. Really catchy songs. They're, now, they're a band who I feel like are on the other spectrum of, like, the movie life, Newfound Glory. They're more the poppy side of pop punk in a good way. But, like, they're a great, like, polished, catchy pop punk band. And that would have been I, – I heard them when they came out as well. I would have been a few years – I know when I, I know what age I was because the last song on there is 19, right? That's the, that's the name of it, 19, I think. Correct. And, yeah, I remember I was the same age as that song when it came out. So, yeah, I would have been a few years older than you. It was like my first year of college when that came out. And that, that EP was just so, so solid. Something interesting, too, and, like, I knew – it's funny because earlier you said 2010 and then you're correcting yourself. And I'm like, no, you meant to, yeah, you're right. It was 2012. I knew what you were talking about right away because if people don't know this, Drive Through Records was kind of out of it at that point. Like they kind of were, they basically got back, like they revived the label just to release that, I believe. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, they put out this EP on the label specifically for the seller life. Which that which also that like I remember when it came out I was getting stoked because then you go that that was like that was released just as I was really I feel like getting into like kind of my peak drive you know being a fan of drive through and that was kind of my thought I'm like well damn I mean if they're you know they haven't done anything in literally years at this point and it's like if they're getting back together you know, this has to be pretty good 
And, I mean, I think it was. I feel like it's a really good – because, like, honestly, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, the very last release that drive Through put out before they, like, you know, kind of went on hiatus or whatever you want to say was, like, I think, like, a secret, secret Dino Club album. I'm not talking shit. It's just not, like – I don't know. To me, the legacy of the label and the things they put out, like, you know, it. I, I think I think the stellar life is more of a representation of what the label did and the strong points of it, too. So I think it was kind of cool. They kind of came back and put that out, you know, as like the next an, an actual official release, too. You know, and it's like I, I think that's that's a great you know, that's a great way to get back because it's like that band, I think, was just so heavily influenced by what drive through did, you know, like 10 years prior and just fit on there even better than a lot of the drive through bands did at the end, you know, at the end of the label, the first time around, I feel like the stellar life were a better representation of even them. And then, you know, also kind of a cool thing too, a little factoid, their drummer was uh, the drummer from cute is what we aim for. I can't think of his, do you remember the name, his name at all? I can't, I can't think of his name. It's like Tom, I think. It's like Tom Falcone or something. Yes, actually, I think you're right. I think his last name is like Falcone. Yeah, but he, he's the uh, he's the OG drummer of Cute Is What We Aim For. He played on both Cute Is What We Aim For records, and he played on that. He's a, he's a really good uh, he's a really good drummer. But yeah, no man, that that EP is solid. I mean, you have anything else to uh, say about it at all? Well, first of all, I wanted to correct my statement before because I remembered it while you were talking because I was racking my brain for this. <laughs> The lyric that I would literally resonate with before school every day, my junior year of high school, it was like, now another half-hearted attempt of changing myself. I overconsume, but I undersell. It, it just kind of reminded me of like, you know, I think I should be greater than what I perceive myself to be to like my peers. Yeah, it makes sense. And like, that's how I know, like, music resonates with people differently but that's how i resonated with this song specifically and um i just really loved the song the guitar work on this album was insane uh oh really really good shout out to dave dave was just like an insane guitar player for uh the seller life and uh, i know he recorded all the guitar parts and um yeah that the EP all around was just like a really good album. And, um, I know actually I was really into, uh, the seller life at the time because Richard turned me on to them. And then, uh, it was actually right after they broke up, I was kind of feeling a little nostalgic and I was like pining through all the studio updates that they had done in the past. And I saw a song that they were working on that they never released and uh, so I took, like, I don't even know, like, a Snapchat video of, like, Dave, like, playing a lead guitar on this song. And I said, what is this song? Like, why is this not on the EP? Does this song exist? And it actually turned out to be the song called Hate Your Guts. And uh, Richard told me that it exists, but they never released it, but it was pretty good. And uh, being that I was, like, a 17-year-old kid, I was like can you send it to me? (laughs) And, uh, he actually did, but I had to keep a cap on it because, you know, if anything, I blew up with the band, I would be in like in trouble for like telling anyone or like putting it online. Um, so I kept it to myself, which 
in a way made it seem even more special because I was like, I love this song and literally no one else has this song. And I was just, um, I was really impressed with that, that specific song. Cause I really wanted that to be on motherfuckers, but it was just, it was just a really great overall pop punk song, but it also had like metal elements to it which is like you know what i love in pop punk oh absolutely that that like you said uh dave right dave's the guitar player's name correct yeah he's a like i wouldn't i wouldn't say the stellar life in any way sounds like strung out but what i would say is they're almost like strung out in the way where it's like they're a pop punk band who's really leg wagon's another where it's like you're it's a pop punk band with really good lead guitar like you know because a lot of times pop punk it's power chords it's not solos you know the lead is normally like just playing octaves and stuff but this is true lead guitar like he plays a really mean lead guitar in that band like there's some there's some really good like riffing and solos and shit in that yet really they mesh it really well because at the same time very like catchy and poppy at times like you know, like Got Fucked Up, I think, was like their first single. And that's a good example of that, where it's like really catchy, but it's like there's some distortion on the guitar. You know, it's like they're actually playing and stuff. It's not it's not just like really kind of simplified and stupid down. Like it's catchy, but it's technical at the same time. You know, re- just really good band. I can't I'm with you, man. I, mean, I can't say anything but good shit about them. They're they're a really good band. I love that band, man. Not and much out there either. It's the EP um, and the songs that the singer has personally sent me because I beg for extra tracks. <laughs> I love that though, because I and let me tell you, those extra tracks should have been released because they're just as good as motherfuckers, if not better. It's too bad we didn't get more from them because they really they're they're a band that you look back and go, there was so much more. You know, to put, I mean, just a full length for one. I mean, we even get a full length. That's like, that's one of those bands nope. where you look and you go, damn, like to think of what we could have gotten, you know? I mean, but yeah, just solid. I mean, solid band and well worth getting drive through records back together, I would say, you know, e- easily. But totally great band. Somewhat, I, I guess I shouldn't say too difficult to find. You can go track, you can go track down that motherfucker's EP. I think it's on iTunes and everything. Um, if it anyone... actually isn't anymore. Oh, it's not really. That yeah. So it's not on Spotify. I, oh, I believe shit. <laughs> that motherfuckers came out before Spotify was a platform. Yeah, it did. I think. And uh, I actually recently looked up motherfuckers on iTunes, and it doesn't exist except for like in my history from when I bought it. And uh, it the tracks aren't on the internet. It's really hard to find. And that's why I'm going to provide you with the track that was released, that was actually never released, that Richard sent me, uh, Hate Your Guts, that we talked about earlier. Oh, very nice. So people can hear it. People can see what we're talking about with the uh, with the stellar life. Because they they're kind of more of a, you know, they were here, kind of came and went kind of fast. You know, so there's probably drive through fans out there who didn't even know this band existed. I'm sure there's people listening right now who might know, like, movie life newfound glory all those and go like who's the stellar life and may have missed them you're gonna love them they're absolutely great and i mean this song they're so good yeah they they really are damn good so yeah no that's that's uh that's rad zach no we'll uh we will play that for everyone here at the end of the uh episode let people check out the stellar life here but yeah just solid solid drive-through band can't say enough good shit about them my fourth favorite would have to be and i just had their singer on a few weeks ago so maybe i'm a little biased 
But uh, Hidden in Plain View, Life and Dreaming, I mean, it's my fourth favorite. And like I was saying, it's hard to do, like, top five because this thing could also be in, like, probably – I mean, I could maybe even put it down in my top three at times. It's just an amazing record. I mean, I, w- I won't sit here and just – I'm not going to repeat every single thing I said a few episodes back, though I will take this time for some shameless uh, promotion and say, if you are a fan, go back and check out my interview with Joe Rio of Hidden in Plain View because just a few weeks ago we were – just last month we were talking – uh, this record, because it just turned 15, came out in 2005, and uh, I talked to him all about it and a bunch of other cool stuff and what the band's up to now. But anyway, this record, and I mentioned on that episode, the strong the strong point about it, and we've talked about a little bit like with Newfound Glory and with Movie Life and stuff kind of, you know, blending elements, but light, but like what I love about Life and Dreaming and Hidden in Plain View, you can't really pinpoint a genre on them. You know, they're... They're pop punk, but they're not entirely pop punk. They're a rock band, but they're not just rock. You know, they're emo, but they're not just emo. Like, like they never lean into anything too much. They like Life and Dreaming reminds me of Jimmy World's Clarity, where it's it's this mo- it's on it's on different layers. There's just there's so many different things going on in it, and it works so well. But it's not just a straight up like. I mean, there's if you go look back at 2005, I mean. There, there's more than enough screamo emo albums and shit that came out. You know, take your pick. I mean, there's, there's so many, and it's like this one stands out to me is different. You know, it, it just, it does different things than other ones did, and I just, I think it's absolutely special. I mean, there's songs on there that I go, that sounds like a Foo Fighters song. There's songs on there that sound more like, say, like Senses Fail. You know, I mean, there's just some straight up, there's songs just straight up like punk rock songs, like just really fast tempo, really distorted power chords, just really, really good stuff. I love everywhere they go on there, as well as production. I mean, production-wise, it's it's a great sounding record. The whole thing sounds good. And I mean, the, the sequencing of it too, I mean, 20 Below into Garden Statement is like one of the best, like I'm... It, it's so great because when I listen to one of those songs, I have to listen to them both. Like if I'm going to listen to Garden Statement, I got to start with 20 Below. Got to play that first. You get into that, the song ends, and then it, that, that, that guitar intro for Garden Statement starts. And it's just this like one-two punch that like there's just – it just stands out like that. You know what I mean? To the point where I'm sitting here on a podcast talking about the sequencing of two songs on this record. But it's like it's just that good. And – you know, I think one of the strong suits that, uh, you know, Richard and Stephanie, like you were mentioning, the uh, owners of Drive Through Records, they were so good at this, at finding bands that really, you know, I mean, defined a good sound, but weren't, were never copies. Like they, Drive Through were always the band, were always the label that signed the bands that people would then go rip off. You know what I mean? Like, like Newfound Glory, like bands are ripping off Newfound Glory, but Drive Through Records has Newfound Glory. You know, bands are ripping off Senses Fail, but Drive Through Records has Senses Fail. It's kind of like that, and same with Hidden in Plain View. You know, Drive Through Records have Hidden in Plain View, and they're doing this thing that others aren't, and anyone who's doing it close to it are kind of imitators and are not doing it as well. So, I mean, I just I think one of the greatest records to define that era is uh I mean just hidden in plain view with life and dreaming. And I mean O five is kind of the uh I'd say that's kind of going towards the end of like their real their real heyday and like the real pinnacle of drive through records. You know, I think at that point a lot of the classics had been released and this is like one of the it's not the last one, don't get me wrong. And also Hello Goodbye put their uh their huge record out like a year or two later, which I mean is probably I would guess 
probably one of the best selling like albums on drive through records like of all time probably one of their best sellers but uh you know i feel like this one is kind of a bookend to that really that era of drive through like the big era like the from like 02 or 03 to 05 from like that you know like that like 3 or 4 year stretch there this is kind of the bookend you know if like newfound glory or kind of the like kind of rang in that like you know the pinnacle of it hidden in plain view kind of you know not that they brought it down or anything, not like that. Like, they were the reason for it ending. But they were kind of that last really, really great drive through band, I think. And just in that way, I just think they're really, you know, they did different things that a lot of other bands didn't do. And I think on a Life and Dreaming particularly, they just, it, it's amazing what they did. So, I mean, yeah, that, that has to be my fourth favorite. I think I've talked to you a little before. I mean, you, you kind of like Kidding in Plain View, but you're not, you're not super familiar with them, right? Correct. Uh, I looked them up when you were talking about them, and I would have to say uh, I haven't listened to Twenty Below, um, but I would have to say that Garden Statement is my favorite Hidden in Plain View song. That just shit because, goes uh, hard. It goes hard, and you know I love those hard pop punk songs. I mean, you can't listen to that song and not scream in the bridge like "Spill the Ink and Spill Your Guts Again." Like you gotta. It doesn't matter where you're at. Like you, I don't care if you're. In a crowded, I guess right now you shouldn't be in a crowded uh, space, but if you happen to be in a crowded space even, you know, that's the shit to yell is to sing along to that song because it's just, it's just so sing-alongable. That's not even a word, but it is now because that's how good Garden Statement is. It's sing-alongable and uh, particularly that that bridge. And it just goes everywhere too. Like that's the other thing. That's It's the best hidden and played in you song for sure. And I think it's a great representation of them because it goes different places, you know. And, I mean, like I said, I don't want to go too far in this because, I mean, I have a whole episode, a few episodes back talking about this record, you know, ad nauseum. But, like, it just it goes all these places. That song's pop punk. It's also rock. It's, like, a little, you know, there's screaming in it. There's some screamo. There's some emo. Like, there's, like, five or six genres in there. But at the end of the day, it's also just plain view or not plain view. It's hidden in plain view. And it's just good. I think that's like the best representation of that band. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, if for whatever reason, if you're listening to this and never heard Life and Dreaming, definitely go check that out and, you know, listen to both of us. Garden Statement, best best song. But do like I said. Go listen to 20 Below into, into Garden Statement. You won't, you won't regret it. Or just go listen to the whole goddamn album. That is a great record. Now, let's go on to number three, man. What is your third favorite drive-through release? I would have to say my third favorite drive-thru release is what it is to burn by finch very nice classic classic record so i probably my first uh what it is to burn track that i discovered was obviously the title track what it is to burn and uh i probably actually i think i found that through the music video just like looking through music videos of drive-thru songs and uh the music video is really weird um it's really cool um it's just like a it's very just just a very emo video like the sky <laughs> the skyline is pink with like naked trees and like randy the lead guitarist is playing a tom DeLong strat like it's just like emo in every aspect possible <laughs> it's very 2002 or, or 2003 I, I can't remember was, when did that come out oh two or oh three do you remember oh two oh two okay yeah i knew it was one of them yeah and uh 
I, I think that's another reason why, like, I was drawn to a lot of the guitar work from uh, drive-through bands is because literally all my favorite drive-through bands, for the most part, played, or at least one of their guitarists played a Tom DeLonge-style guitar, which is just like a Fender Strat with a single humbucker and a single volume knob. And uh, Randy played it. And uh, what it is to burn. I know uh, Matt from the starting line played one as well. Johnny and from Homegrown, he did too. Johnny from Homegrown and even Steve from Newfound Glory played one as well. Oh, that's right. Steve has some, he had some sick guitars. And I remember when he was selling them, I hit him up and he, uh, when he, when he was uh, out of Newfound Glory uh, originally, he was uh, selling some old guitars. And I remember uh hitting him up and he sent me all these pictures and he had a lot of those american strats like you're talking about the beaut the most beautiful guitars like i have ever seen they're so gorgeous and i need to have some too with and it's funny because they're richie sambora and i don't know why because there's nothing about it that says richie sambora but just these star inlays that just look absolutely amazing i think he had some of the best uh american strats for sure but those things sounded so damn good like i me and you have talked about it. I don't think we've ever figured this out entirely about uh, Fender endorsements, have we? You know what I'm talking about. We, I think, I think we've, we've talked about this before, but have we ever figured that out? Because I'm still of the conspiracy that – not conspiracy. I just think, like, drive through bands got, like, Fender endorsements, and they got really good shit. Because all of them, once they signed, like, you look at what all of them played, like, beforehand. Like, I'm sure if you looked at, like, old Finch videos, like, I'd be interested in seeing – what they were playing really early on because they probably weren't playing those before they got signed to drive through. But I don't know if that was an endorsement or not. So actually to slightly answer your question, I guess I saw Newfound Glory uh, in November, 2019. And being that it's March, 2020, um, I, I went to a meet and greet in November and I actually asked your question at the meet and greet where I asked Ian, the bass player of Newfound Glory, um, if he had a Fender endorsement, I actually phrased it if did all the drive through like members who played Fender guitars and basses have a endorsement or did they just like buy them themselves? And uh, he told me specifically that he himself got his green Fender the sparkle green uh, precision bass with the mirror pick guard mm-hmm. um, through um, Rick DeVoe, which was Blink-182's manager at the time. Yeah. And uh, that's actually how he got his signet or like custom fenders um, through Mark Hoppus. But um, he doesn't really know about the other drive through guys. That's interesting. I would, I don't know. I still think some of them probably did because it's just, it's interesting that like all of them, like there's so many bands that played them, you know, like, like you were saying, like at the time that was a very, that was very common, like seeing like uh, R2K playing that, like so many other guys were playing them too, but they sound amazing. And I, I assume he played that on what it is to burn as well. I'm sure he, uh, I'm sure he played that guitar on there. The, the production on that is really damn good. I think I want to say did Mark Trombino might have produced that one because i think they might have used them because he produced all the jimmy world records and i want to say he produced that if i'm not mistaken but the uh 
Though, speaking of, like, Jimmy World, that's another one where they're kind of, I mean, you know, they're definitely, like, I don't know, like, what would you label them, I guess? If you if you have to put a, if you have to put a genre on them, what would you call Finch? Finch. Ooh. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Post-hardcore. Yeah, that, that that's what I was probably going to say, too, is, like, post-hardcore. And, uh, you know, so it's like they don't sound straight up like Jimmy World, but they do interesting things on there, too. Like, what it, like... Ender has yeah Ender right that's the one has a crazy uh, kind of closing on it yeah it does because I saw them play that shit live I I totally forgot about that yeah because I saw them for the tenth anniversary in Toronto I saw them play that record live and that was cool to see them play that last song like I remember Randy was like on the ground just with his pedals he was like just hitting everything just making noise and stuff like it, it just so good just such an awesome record you know what is what is your favorite song off of it. Mm, that's a good one um i probably have to say new beginnings that's a good one it's a good album opener too yeah because like not only is it like a good pop punk song but it it's just it's a really heavy song and i like the transy like opening yeah where it has like filtered drums and uh, it just like it's a slow build up. I just really like that. That that also kind of kind of like I was mentioning that show that I saw them play in Toronto. That that what you're talking about. Like imagine that. Like the build up to see them live and like because everyone already was antsy to see them play. Like it's kind of funny because apparently I didn't know this, but Finch was supposed to play in Toronto. I guess the first time around before they broke up and then something happened and the show got canceled. So when I went to go see the show, Finch canceled years before. So Finch hadn't played Toronto in, I think it was over a decade or something. And on top of that, they're playing what it is to burn front to back. And you know, like for the first time in years, they got back together and stuff. So these people, I'm telling you, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a more dedicated like audience who's just ready for a show. Like you would think you were like in an arena, which there's still probably, I think it was called like the opera house. I want to say, and it was sold out. I think there were like 1300 people there. If I remember correctly, like there were a lot of people, but these, it is so funny to this day. I feel terrible for everyone who opened that show because everyone there was there for Finch and they had been waiting like a decade since they canceled so, like, I remember the almost played, which that dude from Under Oath is, like, the front man of. People were throw, which really, like, Under Oath is a huge band. And in, in a lot of ways, maybe even bigger than Finch. But, like, at this show, people, they, I'm not even kidding. They were throwing bottles at the guy. They were yelling shit at him, like, to get off the stage. Like, people were so unruly. They just wanted Finch. So when New Beginnings started, like, you were talking about that, like, intro people were losing their minds because you, you hear it and you know what's about to come. But it's like there's just this real slow build up. You get that guitar in a loop, and then all of a sudden it just breaks out. And that's still – it's kind of funny because, I mean, Finch is a heavy band, but they're by no means like you know like a death metal band or anything. They're not like Lamb of God. That is one of – not one of. Screw that. That is like – the craziest show that is the craziest show I've ever been to. You have never seen mosh pits like that. You've never seen crowd surfing like that. The, this was a room full of people who were waiting 10 years to see this band. And it was insane. Like I, I had bruises on me afterwards. It didn't stop. 
even the slow songs, like the moshing didn't stop. I remember like starting like far, kind of far right. I remember being almost front row, but I was far right and like a couple songs, not even a couple songs. And I think by like the end of New Beginnings or Pictures of You, I was in the middle. Like all of a sudden I got knocked over like I like 30, 40 feet from where I re- probably more from where I originally was. Like it was just that like feet never stopped moving. People were going nuts. I mean, you just your my feet were like bruised up from people just stomping on them, you know, getting hit in the head, almost lost my glasses. I don't know how many times, but well worth it. I mean, that record front to back, that that is one you want to see played front to back. Just that the sequencing's great. Production's great. You know, they just they do so much different stuff on it. You know, absolutely classic, classic drive through record. It's a very good pick. I mean, that's in a, that's kind of the fun thing about this is we're both going down our releases, but there's not really a bad drive through release. So it's like you're talking about yours and I'm just as stoked. You know what I mean? Like you're like I know Finch isn't in my top five, but I'm sitting here talking about just as much as you are because that's just such a goddamn good record. You know, I mean, it of just course. it shows how solid, you know, drive through is. And my my number three, which I think you're uh, you're probably equally as big of a fan of the starting line was say it like you mean it. I had to go with this one. I just to me, it's one of those ones where it's a quintessential pop punk record front to back. I mean, this and see, this one is more would go the other way. Like we've been kind of talking about how a lot of these records are cool because they go these different directions and they're different genres and whatnot. What I like about Say It Like You Mean It, I think, is that it's just a straight-up pop-punk record. It's not, You know, it's not really – Yeah, like, right? It's not like a bunch of different things. It's just a pop-punk record, and it's good. Like, they wrote and, – and they were the perfect age, too. Like, Kenny Vasoli was, like, I think 17 when he wrote it, and all the other guys were real young, too. But that's the perfect age. You know what I mean? Like, it was – he has all that teen angst. He has, you know what I mean? Like, Girl Broke His Heart. Like, he goes right to this, this amazing pop-punk record. And it's just so innocent, too. I think I think there's an innocence to it. I think it's a band who had a few. They did a couple things at that point. They had that with Hopes of Starting Over EP. And uh, they did a couple things when they were still called Sunday Drive. There were a few things out there. So this was a band who I think had a little time under their belt, you know, kind of understanding more what they wanted to do. And I think on that record is just, I mean, the the whole thing is just, it's it's catchy from front to back. Actually, I was listening to it on the way to the studio tonight to uh, get in the mood for this. You know, I, I, I was uh, I was like, okay, I got to listen to some drive-through. And it's like I, I, I instantly went for a starting line up and go. I mean, you know, we've been talking about great album openers, and that's another one that just right away gets you. Like, And, it, and it's, actually, it's funny because this meets Anthony's criteria for the greatest album openers. The best yeah. album openers in the world. I will tell you this. I even think about it when I said this is how good this is. It's actually just came to me that it that oh, it's in the key of E. Yeah, motherfucker, you know exactly. It's in the key of E. Okay, check. Are there power check. chords? Are there distorted power chords? Yes, check. Are check. there pick slides? <laughs> you are goddamn right. There's pick slides, and that check. to me that is the Anthony criteria. If you want me to like your album intro, if you want me to like your album opener, has to be an E major. Needs to have distorted power chords, and I need them. I need them uh, pick slides, and that I mean that's why Get Up Kids Holiday is probably my all-time favorite album opener. The thing starts on a pick slide. You know the album's going to be good because it starts literally on a pick slide. And up and I love go, a good pick slide, isn't it? A good pick slide is like that. I don't care about technicality. I don't care what you how you know that you can play your fucking pentatonic scales or anything like that show me you can do a good pick slide that's what i care about 
And uh, yeah, Up and Go, such a great album opener. And I think that record, you know, I kind of want to get into it. I get your opinion on this album as well. Um, actually, before I get into that, I'll get. I want to get your opinion because I know I know you're a fan of the starting line too. I mean, you, you're. I take it you're a pretty big fan of this record as well. It's actually my number one. Oh shit! Hell yeah! Okay, so you know what then? I'm gonna let you go into it more than once we get to that. I won't. I won't spoil that. But what I want to talk about right now is thinking this on the way out. You know, you kind of know this too, right? The starting line after this record. I mean, this is their most successful one. I feel like it was a blessing and a curse. And you probably know what I mean, because while it was huge, I think they tried to shy away from it more after, and it just, you couldn't do it. I think they ended up writing such a good pop punk record that that's all people wanted afterwards. In a lot of ways, they screwed themselves over by being so good. You know what I mean? Like, like, does that make sense? Yeah. um, They actually, so just a little research I've done, because they they went um, the whole Geff the Geffen deal that they were under the upstreaming kinda, which I don't think they wanted. Yeah, it kind of went to shit. And uh, if you actually look up what what is it? Um, I'm having trouble remembering the name of their second album. It's like oh, based on a true story. Based on a true story. If you look up based on a true story demos, they actually sound like uh, say like you mean it. Oh, you know what? You're right, because I've heard the uh, – I have one of those old drive through comps that has the Bedroom Talk. I know your favorite song, the Bedroom Talk uh, demo on it. And you're right. It is more like – it's it's it sounds more like Say It Like You Mean It than the uh, final version does. Yeah, dude. It's just like a snappier snare. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That That's a good intro, too, a nice, nice snare intro. But – um. Yeah, like like based on a true story, which and how do you feel about the later stuff? Like I'm a fan of all era, like all eras. Like, do you like based on a true story and direction? I do. I I love them all to be honest, but uh, I would have to say, like, say like you mean it is probably my favorite by far. It's it's but their best. There, there's a few songs on uh based on a true story, like uh. Surprise, surprise is obviously like a hit. Yes, one of their but, best. But a song that really resonated with me when I was in uh, when I was in undergrad was uh, Artistic License. That's a good one. And it, it just like, I remember like, just like walking through the snow at my college and just like hearing the snap of the, that snare and just like, it... I don't know, just artistic license just really resonated with me. It's crazy what you see what they do on there, because like what I was talking about, one of the strong points of Say Like You Mean is that it's like a straight-up pop-punk record. And what I like about Based on a True Story is now that one, they kind of go do different things, I would say. When it, you like, there's like, there are songs that are like more pop-punky, but they're like, they do even the guitar work. Like, there's some songs on there with like clean leads that are like almost... I don't want to say like American football. I wouldn't say that, but you know what I mean? They kind of have more like a twangy, almost emo sound to it. You know, like it's not just all distorted power chords on there. Like they kind of went and did something different on that record. And they also slowed down too. You know, their songs on, not all the songs, but I think they also kind of, you know, put some more slowed down tracks and stuff on there. And uh, yeah, that that's that's a great record as well. But say it like you mean it. Probably not. Probably it is my favorite uh, release of uh, the starting line, 
But yeah, I, I just think in ways it's interesting. Like I think, and I, th- I think that's the thing is people love that record so much that they wanted it again. I mean, he says it in, I can't remember the name of the song, but on direction, there's that lyric. If, if say it like you mean it is all you want, then, then basically we have nothing for you. Um, I forget the exact lyric, but it's something like that. And, uh, you know, and, and I feel bad because Kenny Vasoli, even now, I mean, like with Vacationer and Personnel and different things he's done since. I mean, the, the other dudes in the starting line, do you know, like I'm trying to think, I don't think the other dudes are in other bands. I can't think of any other bands besides Kenny Vasoli that are in like other projects besides the starting line. Uh, I really can't, but I know that Matt from the starting line, uh, the rhythm guitarist is in the marketing team at Fender currently. That's pretty rad. That's that's neat. He's another one, I think, if not, I'm not mistaken. He played a strat back in – oh, yeah, you said that. Yeah, he played a strat back in the day, yeah, right? Yeah, he played a Tom DeLong strat. It was a shoreline gold American strat with a rosewood neck uh, with a black EMG 81 uh, with all the rest being Tom DeLong specs, like the pearl pick guard with the single humbucker route. And the single volume knob with the the chrome P bass knob. Very nice. That's not that you just describing that sounds like a gorgeous guitar. Yeah, I <laughs> I actually uh, I commented on one of his photos a couple weeks ago, and I tried to buy it off him, but he said it's just collecting dust at his parents' house. But uh, if he ever decides to sell it, I'm the first on the list. So I guess I'm on I'm first on the list to buy that starting line guitar. Damn, dude, I would be jealous if you end up getting that. That would be a. I, uh, that'd be I will sick. never get it. I doubt he'll ever <laughs> sell it. No, you're probably right. I mean, even if it's collecting dust, I'm sure it means something to him if he starts thinking about it. You know what I mean? Of course. Kenny, uh, Kenny has he has a really great bass that he plays now. I mean, the starting line don't do a ton now. You know, they do they do a few like shows every year. I think this is it. This year, or last year was their twentieth anniversary. I want to say. But, uh, you know, when they do play live, Kenny has a really rad bass. And uh, I asked him about it because it looks really old because it's beat to hell. But apparently it's a 2008, which is really funny to me. Because if anyone if anyone sees the starting line play live since basically, I think, like, 08. Basically, yeah, when the bass came out, when he bought it in 2008, he's been playing. It, and if you look at it, it looks vintage, but it's not. It's just beat to all hell. But, uh, and not, but not intentionally either. Not like a quote-unquote road-worn it actually is road worn, which I, I think makes it you know, that much cooler. Because I'm with you, dude. I, I love like looking up the uh, you know the gear and stuff. I mean, as a musician too. I mean, I, I, the drive through shapes so much of you know my musical taste and what I do um, as well. That yeah, I, I love looking into that. And you know, on say it like you mean it, the the production sounds great, guitar tones sound great, everything on it sounds good. Um, I guess a little, not, not really sidetrack, still goes to it. But like I was just saying about like the tones and stuff, I mean, drive through records, would you say that uh, overall, I mean, you, you yourself, I don't know if we've talked about it yet, you know, you have your band Kickstart and, um, you know, you're a musician, you do a bunch of different stuff as well. I mean, would you say that, is that fair to say drive through records bands, pretty big impact on your songwriting and as a musician? Oh, of course. Before I even realized that it was. Uh, they were influencing me. Um, just like, I mean, obviously, like Blink impacted a ton of Newfound Glory and like uh, Starting Line, of course. But it was just, I wanted to go for like happy pop punk like tone. But once I found like Newfound Glory, 
uh, I kind of went for a little bit of heavier sounds uh, with my guitar tone. And uh, once I found the starting line, I was just like, wow, I like love the riffs that they're doing. So I started writing more like melodic, like pop punk riffs. And um, I don't know, of course, that drive through records bands have like taken a toll on uh, my music as a whole. I'm actually like planning to release a single this summer called To the Contrary. Um, and a lot of people have compared it to, uh, Newfound Glory's, uh, Sticks and Stones album. So I, that's kind of cool. I think that's fair. I, I've, I've, uh, heard it and I would say that's a good, that's a good comparison. I would definitely say your music, uh, you know, I guess kind of a loaded question since I know your music, but yeah, I would definitely say you're uh, influenced in a good way you hear it and you're like, Oh hell yeah. Like I can, I can hear what you're listening to. You're listening to the same things I do. And I mean, me as a musician as well, I mean, it's, all those bands. I mean, it, it, whether it's Alistair, Newfound Glory. I mean, a lot more of the pop punk side, I'd say, than the uh, – because I'd say, like, Census Fail, things like that. Like, I'm a fan of Census Fail. I don't know that, like, I've ever really written anything heavy like that. But, like, more of the pop punk side, definitely. I mean, I've included – including starting writing, like, you know, music. Like, you know, around – I think around 17 was the first time I wrote what I would consider, like <laughs> – uh, it would be in the in the words of Tom DeLonge, my first punk song. I probably wrote like in like like age seventeen, and I mean it, it, it was probably a huge ripoff of uh, you know whatever drive through bands I was listening to at that point. You know, and I mean so much of the stuff in the beginning, of what I was writing. You know, everyone says it. You kind of start by ripping off your influences, and then you kind of find your sound by doing that. And I would absolutely say it for me. I mean, I, I fucking I ripped off so many drive through bands writing music until you kind of. You know, you find your own voice doing that eventually, but you start off ripping off anyone. And who better, though, than drive through records bands? They all sounded great. Like, when you talk about pop punk of the early 2000s, it's drive through records. Like, they they represent it. They are that sound. So it's like, you know, if you're going to rip someone off, rip off the best. And, <laughs> and you know, that's – that's. Uh, I, I won't throw you in there. I won't, I won't throw you under the bus, but I will, I'll throw myself under there. You rip off the best. Rip off uh, drive through records bands. But uh, yeah, you know, just kind of, just kind of aside there. Yeah, I mean, as a musician too, I think for both of us, you know, we have a lot in common, and I think uh, that's a big similarity. Just as musicians, I mean, our, our uh, how how much uh, drive through has influenced us and impacted our music. But uh, let's keep moving on here. We both have a couple left, so let's go to number two, man. What is your second favorite drive through release? My second favorite drive through release is Sticks and Stones by Newfound Glory. Fuck yes. <laughs> That's all and I can I, say. I will have to say that um, aside from Alistair, um, when I mentioned that Somewhere on Fullerton was my first like drive-through song, whether like I knew it or not, um, my second first or my second drive-through song um, was something I call Personality, and I found that through LimeWire like, after doing like research through Blink-182, I guess. But uh, something I call personality, like, introduced me to Sticks and Stones. And uh, through that, I found Understatement. And after I listened to Understatement, I'm like, well, I better listen to the rest of the album because I bet it's amazing. And it actually, like, it's still one of my favorite albums to this day. And um, the album is just, like, golden all the way through. Um, There's not a track I skip on it when I sit down with it. Um, there's just like 
so many good tracks on it. The lyrics, uh, I know Steve Klein wrote most of the lyrics. I know Chad wrote like the chorus for My Friends Over You. But like Steve wrote the verses and like that's what shines to me is the verses. Like the lyrics that are more intimate and like that like actually mean a little more than um just like pop lyrics, I guess. But what shines to me on this album is the lyrics and the guitar tones and it's definitely once spring hits, like once it's warm weather, like uh, for the foreseeable future, it's definitely one of the albums I put in my rotation because it's just like one of those albums that just like lifts me up like nothing else can. Yeah, there there really isn't a bad song on it. I mean, you're you're right about that. Right away with understatement all the way to the story so far. It's the whole thing's good. There's really not a bad track. And I, I forget sometimes, like, that's one of, there's certain albums where if I don't listen to it for a while, I'll put it back on, and I sometimes forget that every song's good. So it's like, I'll be like, oh, I'm in the mood for understatement. You put understatement on, and then you can't turn that record off, because you go, holy shit, like, I'm not going to skip any of these. It just keeps going and going. You're like, I forgot how good all these songs are. I did the same thing with Life and Dreaming before I uh, interviewed Joe Rio. I mean, I, I listened to that album but uh, you know, it. I uh, started listening to it more when I was going to interview him, and you know, it been a, it been a little while since I listened to Life and Dreaming front to back like that. And then I did, and it, it did the same thing. Where you're like, oh, there's not a bad song on here. And I definitely do the same thing with Sticks and Stones. I think that's that's probably them like really on point because it's like what I was saying with the movie Life, where like I liked has a gambling problem because it's kind of in the middle there of this time next year and Forty Hour Train. And I feel like that's what Sticks and Stones was. You know, it's more produced than their self-titled record, but it's kind of, I think it's more pop punk than what they did later on. Because I think what they were doing, not that they ever got super heavy, but I mean, you know, you follow their career just like me. There was a while there where I think they were kind of trying to go against the whole we're a pop punk band and try to do more like kind of the heavier side. And I feel like on uh, Sticks and Stones, it's their best, like, you know, leveling that out of, like, we're a pop-punk band, but we also love, you know, like, hardcore bands. And I think that one just, it, it sounds the best. Some of their best songs. Steve Klein, man, I mean, really, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and, and uh, you know, like, shit on Newfound Glory or anything like that. I, I still love that band. But I will say this. I think Steve wrote their best songs. I think you look now, now that he's not in the band. Once again, I'm not bad talking them or anything like that. They're still a great band. But I will say, as far as their music goes, I do think that it did take a hit when Steve was out of the band. And you start to realize who was writing a lot of those lyrics. And it was him. He wrote, I mean, they still write great music. I think lyrics, though, he wrote the best lyrics. He really, he really just wrote some really special ones. I think... And I didn't notice it at the time, really. Um, I'll be completely honest. I mean, like, I, I like their lyrics, but it wasn't something I thought of until he was out of the band because people started talking about it. You know, that, like, I remember when he when he was kicked out and, it you know, they you would see people talk like on Absolute Punk and, uh, you know, people would kind of say it, I know, to the guys in Newfound Glory, how, like, you know, Steve wrote those songs and he was writing this and that. And I never realized that. And then I went back and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, he really does write some really, really good lyrics. You know, and and that's another one. I mean, for you, like, kind of lyrically, is there a song that stands out most on uh, Sticks and Stones for you 
like lyrically even it doesn't even have to be musically but is there one where you have like either a really favorite line or there's one you just love the most because of the words yeah <laughs> so i i was actually thinking about this uh earlier um you know i don't want to keep just talking about something i call personality because literally like some of my other tracks before before i talk about my favorite lyric uh some of my other favorite tracks is it's been a summer never give up um obviously understatement sunny's a good one too yeah uh and then the great houdini is like another one of my like favorites but probably like to wrap it up of my other favorites is probably like belated belated is a really good song yeah now wait a second i'm trying to think this is so funny because my favorite song on that record i can't think of the name off the top of my head it's in like i don't know if, if you know what key it's in i know it's in a flat and it's like in minor it's like a minor it's like it's like a flat minor and i'm trying to think of the lyrics it's it's like my favorite song on there it's on the second half of the record and i think it's belated but honestly i can't think of the i cannot think of the goddamn one of the lyrics song. is that like um i'm sorry that i missed your birthday no i know you i don't know have that to song. turn your back on me yet nope it's a different song but that is a great song belated yeah, is great that's one of my favorites I can't think now of my of the one I'm thinking of, but no, it's not the same. But belated is a great song. That is a really you're probably good you're one. probably thinking of uh, never give up. Do you remember? That? I I if I hear the chorus, I will know it. I'm trying to th- now. I have to look this up. I mean, we're talking right now, so hopefully this isn't loud in the mic. But now I got to look up sticks and stones and find out the but name of this song. While you're doing that, uh, I'm gonna tell you my favorite lyric from uh newfound glory six and sounds and uh it's from the song something i call personality and it's word travels fast when her name is involved i'd like to think what i have is real it's just like it kind of just it resonated with me because i had a lot of friends in high school that would like talk about my girlfriends and they were almost like I had really close friends that were more interested in my girlfriends than they were interested in me and it was like whenever my girlfriend's name involved uh they obviously want to talk about me more but when it's just about me they're not interested um and that line kind of just resonated with me um I don't know because everybody has some shitty friends. No, but that that also that's a good that really does like show how good they are that they can write a lyric like that and it and you can relate to that point. You know what I mean? Where you can pinpoint have such a specific thing that you can relate to. That's good songwriting. Yeah. You know that's that's absolutely good songwriting. I'm sure Steve wrote that lyric. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and once again, I mean, because I I'm. I'm not sitting here shitting on Newfound Glory. It's not what I'm doing. I still love that band. I've seen them probably five times since Steve has been out of the band. But he wrote the be- he wrote their best lyrics. I think musically, they still write. I think Chad writes some really good guitar leads. I think as far as lyrics go, Steve wrote the best. And you know, I'll just say it. I don't. I don't think the ones now are as up to par. You know, I'm not. I'm not. Once again, I'm hey, just, they re- they released a couple new songs uh, this past month, and they're actually really good. They're not too bad. I, I I can't think of the names off of them. What do what what is the name of the album though? The new one. Do you remember? It's greatest of all time. 
greatest of all time. That's right. I mean, a little plug for him once again. I'm mean, like, like I'm not trying to sit here and go, you know, fuck newfound glory. Go check out their new record. It's coming out soon. You know, go go check that out and go support them and everything. But yeah, I, I think Steve probably did write that, and he wrote a lot of their best lyrics. Oh, I also figured out. I was thinking of singled out. That's probably my favorite uh, song on there, honestly. And I could not think of the name. Singled Out is a great track. Yeah, I like I like that one because you kind of forget about it. It's like towards the end of the record. I think I just looked. It's like track 10. There's like 12 songs, and it's like number 10. So it's kind of at the end there. So I always kind of forget about it. But it is, it is my favorite on there. That is That is a good one. I saw him play it live. I guess I've seen him play it live twice because I saw them play – uh, Sticks and Stones front to back at the Grog Shop in Cleveland in 2012. Still one of the best shows. I remember that's actually, you know, what's funny about that. That was the first ever show that I drove myself to. Because <laughs> I, I remember that because I had gotten my car. I've got my first car. This was 2012. So I got my first car in like end of September. And that show was like late November, early December. And that was the first show that I ever drove myself to, and that long too. That was a which nowadays I've traveled so much I I can drive fifteen hours and not give a shit. But back then I drove like two and a half hours to it, and on the way home I'm like I'm tired. Like I drove like an hour. I'm like oh it's kind of tired. Like I'm tired. I need to like lay here, lay in the back in my back seat for a minute and take a nap and stuff. I look back and laugh now. Like that was such a huge, uh, you know, like driving haul or something. But yeah, that was my first one driving myself to and yeah i remember going to see them at the grog shop light years opened the first show sold out they played two shows and normally if you've ever seen newfound glory in cleveland um i mean this is very i guess local it doesn't make as much sense if you're not from there but uh newfound glory would normally play house of blues in cleveland which holds i don't know i think like 1200 maybe a little less and the grog shop holds like i think 300 the grog shop the Grog Shop is where the smaller bands play, and then the next size up is House of Blues. So you kind of go that way. It's like kind of a, a a newfound glory would play like a House of Blues, and then I'm trying to think of a good example of like a band the size that would play like the Grog Shop normally. But anyways, it normally wouldn't be newfound glory. That was an intimate spot for them. So them playing that front to back, the first one sold out. It was them with the story so far. Um, there for or not their first album, but that Under Soil and Dirt probably just came out. Ooh. That one you know, sold out. You know, I, love I know that you. Band. That, that's why I mentioned it, dude. <laughs> but you know. uh, and actually, a uh, fun fact: the story so far got their band name from Newfound Glory's Sticks and Stones album. The last track on uh, Newfound Glory's Sticks and Stones is titled "The Story So Far." Oh yeah, no they uh, they and then uh, who was it? Steve or Chad who produced their or no? Was it Jordan who produced their uh, the one after that? Uh, what you don't see, Steve. That's right. Then didn't Jordan do like produce it? Jordan did the artwork. That's right. Okay, yeah. So how funny is that? Yeah, they're named after Newfound Glory, and then yeah, Steve produced that, and then I thought Jordan had something full to do circle. with it. Yeah, full. Yeah. I'm sure that's huge for them. I got to say that has to be as a band like. Because I'm sure both of us as musicians can imagine that. Like, you know, you name yourself after the band, and then, like, the singer's doing your artwork and the guitar player's producing your album. That has to be pretty damn cool. And they also take you on tour, you know. that yeah. uh, That's pretty neat. But, uh, yeah, seeing them play that record at Grog Shop, it's it's kind of like that Finch show where people were just going fucking nuts for what it is to burn. It was kind of the same thing. An even smaller crowd, because that's the thing. That Finch show... 
I, I think that place, I looked it up once, and the capacity was like 1,300. So that was not a small show by any means. That was a theater show. This newfound glory show was in a dive bar. Like Grog Shop, one of the best venues in the world. It holds like 300 people, though. So it's like people were, I, I think, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, people were getting yelled at because it's one of those shows where people are hanging off like water pipes and stuff off the ceiling, like yeah. that kind of thing, where it's like you have to stop that or else you're going to destroy the building. It was one of those shows. And I remember, here's how hard that show went. I, had, I couldn't wait for Sonny because I was already out of breath. And what's Sonny? That's like track four, right? That's, that's, that's like one of the first songs on there. Yeah, one of the first slow songs. Yeah, and the, yeah, one of, and it is, and it's like that's what I was waiting for because everyone was going so hard, me included, and I was going fucking nuts up front. I was like, okay, we need Sonny now because I need to not have to jump around and like mosh and stuff. Like I need to be able to just stand still for a minute. So I was so happy when they played that. Like that's how good it was that like, you know, the, you're almost waiting for the couple ballads. There's not many, but you're kind of waiting for like that and the story so far and a couple others on there. They're a little slower. So it's like you can kind of catch your breath for a second. I mean, that, that record just translates great live. And it was just absolutely amazing to see him play it uh, front to back. I know they've done a couple of those. Uh, and I also saw him play self-titled. I saw them play self-titled two years prior at House of Blues. They did play that in Cleveland. And then they did the uh, intimate one with Sticks and Stones. Um, those are the two I've seen. Have you ever seen them play any albums front to back? Because I know they've done that quite a few times now. Even a couple of years ago for like their 20th, 25th anniversary, I know they were they were going to cities and playing like, hell, I think they might have played like four albums live. I think they played like two nights and they played like two albums each night. Have you ever seen them play any of those albums live? Actually, I have not. No? You've seen them live though a couple times. Oh, yeah, you have. You were just talking about it. But how many times have you seen them uh, live? Newfound Glory, I've seen them once uh, this past fall at the Castle Theater in November. And uh, the other time I saw them was summer of 2012 when Steve was still in the band, which was like a good time to catch on to. <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, – yeah, it was like a year before he was out. I've I've no longer – I think the band I've probably seen most is like Hawthorne Heights I've seen over 20 times now. I don't – I literally don't Whoa. remember. Yeah, I've, it's over 20 because it was over 20 like five or six years ago. So I've seen them 20-plus times. But there was a time in my life – where Newfound Glory was probably my most seen band. I, I And that's another one off the top of my head. I don't know how many times I've seen them, but I would go with – I'd go with eight or nine. Here, I'm trying – I'm not going to stand here. I won't sit here and do this too long, but I'm going to try to remember for you all right now because that's what you all, I'm sure, are waiting to hear. Um, the first time I saw them, Kissmas Bash in Buffalo 2007, right when Coming Home came out. And then I saw them a year or two later – before or no that uh taking it over ep came out where they did the international superheroes of hardcore and they did the split like that i saw them when that came out and they uh, played with punchline in edinburgh pa just outside of erie they played a college show i saw them there then i saw them do the self-titled in 2010 front to back saw them do sticks and stones in 2012 then saw them at warp torn 2012 and then i saw them on steve's last show with them or not last show but last tour the the uh, Alkaline Trio Newfound Glory co-headliner, one of the best shows I saw in 2013. Then I saw them twice in 2014. I saw them once in 2016. That would have been, oh, yeah. And then I, 
yeah, I saw him twice in 2014, saw him once in 2016 at Warp Tour San Diego. And I think that's the last time I saw him was Warp Tour San Diego 2016. So I guess it has been a couple years. But uh and I might even be missing a show or two in there, but I've definitely I've definitely seen them throughout the years. And uh, like I was saying earlier, still really good live. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not making it. In, we're not making it entirely a Steve Love Fest. Obviously, both of us like his input in the band. But uh, yeah, he was he was great in it. But they're still really good live. They're uh, well, I gotta go see him live again. Yeah, I just saw Newfound Glory live in November uh, this past year, and what is it, March now? And they were just as cool. Uh, I'll have to tell you, uh, the next day, actually the next three days, I had to recover because my neck was sore from headbanging so hard. Very nice. That that means it's a good show. If you feel like shit the next day physically, and not even, and I'm not even talking about like hungover. I didn't drink at all. No, yeah. dude, I didn't. I didn't drink at all. My neck just hurt for like three <laughs> days. I was in pain. I took ibuprofen because I headbanged so hard. There's so many shows that like I've I've never like drank at the show or done anything and just felt the most messed up the next day. There was a there, that that was a show for me for sure. I remember seeing MXPX in uh, 2015. It was them, Five Iron Frenzy, and Chris Rowe of the Ataris. And I just remember MXPX. I was in the pit and I ex- I I didn't even drink. Like I didn't even have a drink there. And just from from circle pitting that entire time, I went and vomited after in the bathroom of the Agora Theater in Cleveland because I I just I dehydrated myself like I just went so hard that I just started throwing up after and was just physically I felt terrible the next day. Like it is so funny, but that is the sign of a good show, including if your feet hurt because it means people were probably stepping on your feet. That's always. That, that that means something good for me because I'm only wearing like van slip-ons with like no support. So it's like if the top of my feet hurt, it's because people are jumping on them all night, and that means I was having fun. Like that's a good sign. Like if you get beat up at a show like in that way, it means it was a good show. You know, like like it's funny how that works. But it's like if you leave a newfound glory show feeling like someone beat the shit out of you, it means you had a good time. <laughs> you know. That's true. I mean, I used to go to the Story So Far shows a lot, and uh, if you look up what the Story So Far shows looks like in 2013 to 2014, uh, I know they've kind of mellowed out now, and they're kind of like more of like, I don't know, just a chill band, I guess, but in 2013, 2014... Those shows were insane. Like, I went to five shows in one year just because that's how big of a fan I was at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I literally remember being front row. There was no gate. It was just, like, one of those stage, uh, one of those stages that, like, came up to your waist and you were just, like, pressed up against it. And I remember there was this young girl that was pressed up against the stage and this large, overweight man was crowd surfing, and he fell on her face, <laughs> and, he, and he broke her nose. <laughs> oh, and my like, God. I looked over at this girl, and she was, like, looking all around like she was scared, and her nose was sideways. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> and, and uh, no. the, like, the manager, like, the tour people from, like, the story so far were, like, kind of like doing both hands like crawl across the stage like come back here 
like they were doing that like comeback and like uh she, i just remember like seeing this girl with like her nose sideways crawling across the stage oh of my the story God. so far <laughs> Yeah, so dude, those shows used to go really hard. I only took my sister to uh, what was it? Uh, three of them. So I went to two without her. Uh, but when I took my little sister, I was definitely being like a typical big brother, like watching <laughs> out for her because those shows were just like too insane. I mean, after, yeah, you see a girl with a crooked nose like that, I can't blame you for being a little overprotective of your sister at a yeah. story so far show. That kind, of, You know, it's funny. That uh, that kind of reminds me, I'll bring this up real quick, then get to uh, my second favorite. But uh, similar to that, um, I went to the Take Action Tour in 2011, it was, and the two co-headliners that year were Silverstein and Bayside. And I remember the Swellers open, and I think that band Texas in July – and Polar Bear Club, I think. It was, a, it was a really good show. But uh, Silverstein never got to play because while Bayside was playing, and this is another one where it's like a really good crowd. Everyone was really into it. But uh, someone was crowd surfing, fell, I believe, on either the ground or the barrier and cracked their head or neck. No, I'm sorry. I believe Ooh. it was their neck. The show got shut down. To this day, I don't know what happened to that person. The show, all of a sudden, the power got shut down. They were on their last song, too. They were doing Devotion and Desire, I believe. It was their last song, and, like, there had to be a minute left of that song. Could not have been, like, a minute left in their set. And, yeah, I think it was a girl, too. I think some girls, like, crowd server. People were going nuts for it. I remember moving back because I was kind of, like, at the time, I really wasn't, like, I wasn't into that. Like, I liked being up front, but I didn't like when shit got crazy. I would kind of move back. So I went back. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of remember seeing her there and then not – can you hear me? I can hear you now. Sorry, you cut out. Oh, you're all good. But, uh, yeah, like I remember seeing her crowd surfing and you just didn't see the girl anymore. And then, yeah, it was like the power got shut down. Like there were like those – what do you call them? Like you know know, like when – I can't think of it. They're like fire lights or whatever. Like the emergency lights were on, but like everything else was killed in there. Like the power was killed to the to the stage. Like everyone got escorted out. This was like this was fast, man. Like this happened in like I think 10 minutes later people are getting like pushed out. All of a sudden you realize, "Oh yeah, we're not seeing Silverstein." <laughs> like we're not like this isn't happening. I remember my aunt took me. We were up in Buffalo. And I had to call her early. I'm like, yeah, it's over. Like she she didn't drop me off all that long ago. And it's like, yeah, it it it's over. And she got there. There's like ambulances. There were like multiple ambulances, police, and uh, I mean, it's to this day I wonder what happened to that girl. I mean, I never heard anything that she died, but I swear I heard it was her neck. Like she fucked her neck up, which. Anyone I've asked said that's not a good thing, which I mean, considering they they shut the show down and Silverstein didn't get to play. So whatever happened, however, however that ended, I mean, I know she was in a, you know, I know she got sent out in an ambulance, but either way, it was not good. <laughs> that Really not good. And you, you just made me think of that. That has to be like the craziest thing I've seen at a show. You know, that's, I guess that's the other side of it. It's funny because a second ago we're talking about how like, you feel like shit at a show, it means that it was a good show. But I guess it's not a good show if you leave with a crooked nose or a broken neck. Then it's not as uh, – <laughs> might not be as enjoyable. 
But uh, yeah, that kind of, kind of little tangent on it. We, we should do that sometime. Maybe we'll have you back on another time. And we'll talk about like show horror stories or something. I'm sure we both have a bunch of them. This is your Power Chord Hour host, Anthony Merchant. Sorry for a barge in here, but that is actually going to be part one of me and Zach's discussion on our top five favorite drive-through releases. This one went about three hours long, so I thought we would uh, cut this up. And uh, this is the first half. Next week, we will uh, play the second half and, uh, you know, just kind of easier to digest, I think. But I uh, hope you enjoyed so far, and let me know what you think. Uh, PowerCordHour at gmail.com. Share your top five drive through releases with me. Let me uh, know what you like listening to from the label. And we'll be back next week. You will find out our second and our first favorite releases from, I mean, my favorite, my favorite record label of all time. And uh, I will speak for Zach and say his favorite as well. But until next week, for the PowerCord Hour podcast, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening.